Force field is at 25% strength. Booster ignition is go. What's up, guys? Welcome back to the Delphi Podcast. I'm Tom Shaughnessy, and I help lead Delphi Ventures, as well as host some of the most in-the-weeds and thought-provoking guests across crypto, spanning Layer 1s to DeFi, NFTs, and beyond. The goal is to have fun, but also to dive deep and offer foundational episodes on projects and founders. Also, check out our research on Delphi Digital or miss out on the most compelling research there is. It's up to you. As a reminder, nothing said on this podcast is a solicitation to buy or sell any security or token or to make any financial decisions. Delphi Ventures may hold tokens mentioned, so check out our transparency page in the show notes for more info. With that, let's dive in. See you guys on the other side. Auto sequence start in 5, 4, 3, 2, 1. Before we jump in, we want to thank Kava for making this episode possible. Kava is a cross-chain DeFi platform that gives you the ability to earn more by connecting the world's largest cryptocurrencies, ecosystems, and financial applications in one safe and seamless integration. Protocols built on the Kava platform include the Kava Protocol, which enables you to take out loans by locking collateral to mint and borrow stablecoins, the Hard Protocol, the world's first cross-chain money market, and coming soon, the Swap Protocol, a cross-chain AMM liquidity hub bridging DeFi, blockchains, and financial services to swap the world's largest assets and maximize yields across your entire portfolio. Learn more or try for yourself today at kava.io. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Tom Shaughnessy. I help the Delphi Ventures and host the podcast. Today, I'm thrilled to have on Tim Kang and Tyler Ward, who are the co-founders of Universe. Full disclosure here, I'm a part of Universe. It's actually a funny story. I was on vacation and Tyler hit me up and said, this is something you're going to want to be a part of. Send me this money right now. And I said, Tyler, absolutely, my dude, I'm in. <laughs> Tyler, that was a couple months ago, right? It was way back. Yeah, it was like February. That was you, a good time. You were spearfishing, I think, and you were like, I'm not sure. And I was like, Tom, just do it. You And I was like, how am I even questioning this hindsight? Yeah, I was, I was out on a boat a couple miles offshore, but I'm glad I did. <laughs> Let's start with quick intros, guys. Tyler, why don't you give your 30-second intro, and then we'll go over to Tim. So I... Uh, um, I'm a co-founder of Universe. I also uh, co-founded um, Barnbridge, which I had a podcast with Delphi back in the day on that, if people kind of want to go catch up. But Universe has pretty much been a, a long time coming project that it was really like a conglomeration of, I think, my brain, but less mine, lesser so than like Tim and our co-founder, Troy, and then some of the guys that uh, we've been writing code with for a long time, uh, going all the way back to consensus days. But like, I think Tim and Troy and some of the other, like, it's a con- it's a conglomeration of co-founders, and I think that their experience lended all of this even more than mine. I was really just here for the ride and making sure it all came together properly. Humble as ever, Tyler. You did way more <laughs> than that, man. <laughs> Tim, on to you. Hey guys. Um. So I. Um, I'm the founder of a couple of things. Um, I started something called Q Music. It was a very low-key project. Um, it's a live music streaming platform for DJs. And I was kind of working on that in the back uh, while I was investing in crypto. Crypto fortunately helped me afford the time to be able to, to work on my own things like that. And then um, I jumped heavy into NFTs uh, when discovering it, realizing that it was, you know, our, our future and it, it could help help people understand what crypto can really do outside of just investing. And then um, I just really love supporting artists and that's kind of, I have a deep passion in music and um, and, and now visual arts and, and design. And um, I started Sevens Foundation, which is a charity to help elevate um, and uplift disadvantaged artists. And uh, at the same time, I co-founded uh, Universe with Tyler and all, all these amazing guys. That's awesome, guys. I I want to get right into it with Universe. Um, one thing I think that might be you know, a small point of confusion in the space is I'm not sure if everyone understands what exactly Universe is because you know, you know, moving fast, biting off a lot. If you guys had to give the quick intro on what Universe is, what would you say? Yeah, so Universe is like kind of the name implies like a big kind of catch-all universal platform that we were trying to build towards. Um, I think when people ask, especially my friends, when they ask about NFTs and they ask like, how do I get into this? Like I 
really, it's hard to really find a place where you can just be like, check this out. We kind of like, uh, I've kind of referenced like Nifty Gateway at one point or Super Rare and OpenSea, but, and, and then CryptoPunks. But like a lot of times I also say, you got to start using Twitter or you got to, you got to use Discord. And all of that information is very dis- like segregated. It's kind of just everywhere. There's, there's no place where there's kind of like a central hub of information, of history, of, of discovering what exactly is happening in NFTs um, and crypto as well. And so um, we're building a bunch of products, first being an auction house. I think it'll be very powerful because it'll allow people to kind of sell their NFTs and, 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 and trade them in a way that's not currently possible. And also creating social tools, um, kind of like Reddit um, and Wikipedia, to really describe the history of things, to to, to provide information for it for the broad audience, um, so that there can be a place where people can come and be like, "Oh, this is what the history of CryptoPunks is. Oh, this is what the history of Beeple and Blau. This is what happened." Currently, there's like, yeah, there's just it's just hard to find that information. You have to search everywhere, but. That's yeah. a fair point. Tyler, what would you say universe is to you? Because I'm sure that there's, you know, it's just good to have a little bit of give and take from the founders on kind of, you know, what universe is to them. I think in the beginning, it's what Tim described, because I think one of the the problems with like describing what universe is, is like what it is now versus where it's going. So like for the next like year, it's going to be exactly what Tim described. Like that's what we're focused on building. And also, just so everyone knows, like, I apologize if y'all heard barking earlier. I currently live with one of the other Universe co-founders, and he came home, so the dogs kind of went uh, crazy, like Troy. But uh, the, the, I think the longer answer, without getting in a long-winded discussion, is I think it will turn into a fully-fledged, decentralized media company, whether you view that as, like, a social media company or a traditional media company. Um, and I think that's where like my humility, humility earlier came from, like in the beginning stages of universe, I did do a lot of the work and the, the bulk brunt of it. But, uh, when we had problems with Pepe and like joke around and call it like the fallen amphibian, we had to like pivot on like rapid clip. And so we built more of a phase plan of where can we get immediately and some of the problems that we had and even launching a collection like that and uh, some of the gaps that we saw in the market. So the short term, it, it's very much what uh, Tim described, but between like Tim, uh, Troy, uh, like Dragos and Malad and the DMOB squad, they all have worked on, I guess, the more like overarching, harder to solve, bigger problems of centralized media um, versus decentralized media. And Part of it will be where the market goes at aggregate, but I, I mean, I had a pretty long podcast with like Kevin Rose on, on why we need to decentralize media and some of the anti-censorship components. And I probably borrowed 90% of what I said from working with the, the other co-founders. So whether it becomes like a decentralized Disney, uh, whether that's like streaming or media content creation, or whether it moves more towards the social media components of it. Uh, I think that when you look back at NFTs and say like, you know, why did these things get so popular at the time they did similar to like crypto uh, where we had like the ICO boom of 2017, we look back on that and it's like hindsight's 2020. Like, of course, uh, like, of course, decentralized finance was going to be the first major use case because that's why we all got into uh, crypto in the first place. Like the Fed can't keep printing money forever. Well, like the timing of NFTs coming out, I think from like a cultural perspective is more than just the art or the digital art that's being created. Like that's been around for a long time. Like digital art isn't anything new. Like deviant art was around like when we were first starting to play around on the internet. I think the anti-censorship ramifications and our concerns that centralized media and social media, whether it's just media like Disney, whether it's social media or content uh, curation like Google, Facebook, these platforms are being very irresponsible with uh, the way that they're handling the power that's been given to them. And I think that it's a lot about uh, giving the power back to the artists, but 
I also believe in giving the power back to the people on how they curate uh, and mediate their own content. And that's where we're going like longer term. So like, I don't think Tim could have explained it better in the shorter term, but why that's it. I mean, that's really just important for what NFTs are right now. The long, long vision is to go after bigger kind of players that be in media. And I don't think we're going to get there just kind of improving NFTs as they are right now. I think that we have a lot bigger journey in front of us. Yeah, Tyler, that's a great answer to where Universe is going, right? I'd love to kind of dig into those specific pieces because you're talking about a fantastic end state, but to get there, you need a lot of components that in your head, you know, off the bat, you're ready to go. The space might be a little, you know, what exactly makes up a Disney, right? You have the artists, you have the theme parks, you have the content creators, the Imagineers. There's so much that goes into that. And we only kind of see the end result. I'd love to kind of walk through the different pieces of universe that'll kind of help enable that. And I mean, you guys have a marketplace, an auction house, social media. I'm not sure where you want to start, but it'd be great to go through each one and kind of describe how you get to that end state. Maybe it makes most sense to start with the marketplace. And I almost think, Tim, you can help on, I think we go through maybe the process of like what's in the immediate roadmap. Um, like the we're coming out with an auction and minting. Well, we came out with like our first, like, let's call it a core drop. And so we're still going to do our own NFT drops. It, it's not like that is the end all be all that we're just going to be dropping really cool technologically advanced NFT drops like polymorphs, but you can expect that we are going to make those. And the thought process there is one way that we need to empower artists is to like build technology that gives them more like tools to essentially play off of. So like those are open source uh, creative commons drops where someone else can kind of come on and use the framework to either build a game or do their own type of NFT drop as an artist. And we'll keep, coming out with like what we think are technologically advanced drops. And that's like the point of core drops and like they bring revenue into the treasury. So they're good for the project, but like, that's not the purpose of universe. The, the main purpose I think of some of the immediate stuff we're building is Tim was the first guy that I got to help one because of his like knowledge and like NFTs, but then also he's a lot more technically in, in dev savvy than I am. So he was uh, really the first person I got to help when I started non-fungible Pepe and just going through that process, we definitely saw some gaps in the market and things that needed to be fixed on that side. And Tim can probably talk through some of the deeper differences of how our auction and minting process works because that's going to come out before like the marketplace or any social components. Tim, we'll let you take, take it from there. Yeah, like, um, so marketplaces are are really nice, but like starting this project out, there were no auctions. Work were decentralized auction houses, right? Like, there was a uh, balanced finance, but it wasn't really working well. And then, um, like, there were no decentralized marketplaces. Like, a lot of services are built still on centralized um, services and. And the way that we launched Universe was DAO first. We we have a we have governance. Um, we have a token, and it's up to the community to to, to decide um, to decide things. And for example, like if um, if there is someone that wants to sell or auction something, we're kind of leaving it, leaving it up to platforms to decide what gets chosen. For example, like Nifty or OpenSea, they they. They're they're the ones curating, um, but we want to kind of give the 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 community the power um, for as much for 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 everything we can. And um, could you go into that a bit though? Like, what's the difference between me going on OpenSea, minting an NFT and selling it, versus doing it on Universe? Is the is the difference that on Universe you create a community? that then mints it and then curates it? Or, or what exactly is the difference there? Well, as, as a creator, you're able to kind of mint um, on your own. And that's that's separate from curation. Curation is kind of the selection of, of what gets presented um, on top, what gets presented first and highlighted. But in on, on, the, on the front of like minting, we, we want to provide and plug into as much as we can with, with existing custom 
uh, ERC-721 NFT uh, smart contracts. Most uh, platforms are very primitive and basic on what kind, what types of NFTs can be can be created. But as you know, as something that should be open source, as this you know ecosystem is open source, things should be interoperable. Things should be plugging in together. So our goal is to kind of innovate and also make available um, what is what is out there and what we also create. And so if, you know, Manifold is doing, Manifold XYZ, they're doing great things. Um, um, Monster Cat's doing great things, innovating. Like if, if, there, if there are these custom contracts, we want to be able to provide a place where people can mint without any hassle and take advantage of the innovations that are, that are happening in the broad ecosystem. That's awesome. Tyler, I would love to kind of get your take on the minting process. How is it different from other platforms out there too? So one of them is just like where the, the stuff is even held. Like we, I think long-term the way that our minting works isn't like, it's not going to stay the most innovative uh, process in the entire world. Like I think people will like continue to innovate and innovate and innovate, which is why we've talked to groups like Manifold, like Tim said, where we can kind of plug and play. And as we even improve on some of the stuff we're doing, uh, one of there's really two components that I like about our custom ERC uh, 721s the most. One of them is like where they meant to. So like Jimmy, the guy who started Avastars, and he's actually building some pretty cool products, like in an ongoing capacity. He uh, was the one that really championed like a lot of the uh, need for on-chain metadata uh, and where that gets housed. Cause like you can't just like mint NFTs on like base layer Ethereum. It's just like, it's not economically feasible. Like maybe punks are on base layer Ethereum, but they were made like back when, you know, ETH was very inexpensive and gas fees were very inexpensive as well. So basically like where all of that data is stored, I think is probably going to be one of the areas that we focus on the most where like, I'm like, even with like Rarible um, and even like some of the stuff that's pulled into OpenSea, like, not that we aren't going to pull in other platforms uh, like NFTs to be able to like house inside of like the things that you curate and show. But um, like one guy basically at one point created like a rug project and literally just switched the images out because they were just pointing to a backend. So like when you're talking about like immutable and like un- uncensorable, not immutable the group, but like literally immutable at what the word means. And then uncensorable content uh i think jimmy probably championed that more than anyone else that i've known about in nfts and then me and tim are kind of his disciples like following along and making sure that those contracts are proper and then also just the way they even work inside of themselves like we created an erc 721 that can actually house other collections so as we build out, we're more like building our contracts for the future of what universe is going to become. So like, as it turns into more of like a social uh, platform that like NFT mentor will be able to like that, that ERC 721 will hold a collection of other ERC 721s that then can also like moderate a community off of the same minting keys. So, I mean, I think that while other groups are probably doing like deep research into some of the cooler things you can do with minting functions, we're probably doing deeper research into the uncensorable aspects of what we're creating and who owns what and how it's controlled, because that's where we're going to end up going long-term. So we're trying to basically create, we're trying to create contracts that will stand the test of time, at least on our platform. Yeah, like there's there's a bunch of uh, NFTs that are really just pointing to centralized servers servers for the assets, and the whole promise and the reason why all of this is possible is because of unstoppable unstoppableness, I guess you know, like and so like if 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 there's a central entity that can just destroy a project, and and the way that it works um, in terms of like the delivery of the asset, it's just not. That's that's just not fulfilling the promise. So what we're building, we, we want to ensure that everything is pristine. So one and quick actually, follow-up Tom, question. I want to oh, sorry, Tom. I want to really add on to what he said to tack on. Like when we look back on NFTs in five years and everybody's like, oh, were these like profile picture projects really what everyone was excited about? 
And we're going to look back and be like, no, we missed like the 800 pound gorilla in the room that all that, you know, we have like people getting censored left and right on the internet. I mean, we're, if somebody watches this in five years, now is the time where like cancel culture is at large. It doesn't matter what side of the political spectrum you're on. It, it really shouldn't be up to these centralized authorities to, to decide uh, how it works. And I think that a lot of people right now in NFTs where, you know, we've got a lot of like, I mean, we even launched like Polymorphs, which is an avatar like type project. So I'm not hating on that. And I think that those are really fun and exciting, but um, we're not building for that. We're building for the longer term of like what is like unstoppable media. And I think that a lot of projects are missing that both at like the protocol level, as well as like the actual NFT minting level. Like, I don't want to call out like particular projects, but like they're not, they're, they're a hundred percent either centralized by the people running those projects or they're centralized by things that are even out of their control, like AWS, which is even worse. Right. So like we're making sure that we're building guts and infrastructure where like it's the promise of what NFTs were supposed to be because it's kind of like Wayne Gretzky. We're trying to, we're trying to go where the puck is headed, not where it is right now. Tyler, I love the vision and, and a question for you, Tim, just a quick follow-up. Like what's the chance that other NFT minting platforms, you know, reroute the metadata to our weave or put it on something unstoppable because that, I mean, the permanence of your NFTs is one thing that's incredible, but the other aspects, I mean, you guys have a number of advances, like, you know, supporting rare, uh, rareable standards and resale royalties and batch minting NFTs to a user's wallet and optional signatures to verify the creators. Like there's a lot of other technical things that you guys have put forward, but where do you guys think the line is drawn between this is an innovation for universe and this is something someone else can copy? Right. And so a lot of a lot of projects, they're using contracts where once it's launched, they can't change the base URL. And so if you know IPFS goes down for their content, it's gone. So like what we built, for example, with polymorphs, um, we're we have to do like a custom rendering engine to 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 switch the traits. And we're we're gonna be migrating this over to decentralized services, which is just currently not not possible um, with the with the tech that's available, um, but we all, we put a DAO in front of it so that the DAO can that the DAO literally has control to change the U, the URL. So, for example, like you know, if our services go down, if we disappear for some reason, the DAO can vote to change the service and and get it back up and running. That's just kind of like a, a intermediary step before we move to and migrate to something that's actually decentralized. The best way currently is to just use Arweave, and many projects have been starting to adopt and, and using Arweave as as uh, their 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 pointer for for these decentralized assets that likely will never disappear. And so, we we want to make sure that we we create a platform that has it all proper, and then we can just offer it to everyone to start using, and it'll just help everyone in the long run. Hopefully, that makes sense. Okay. Yeah, and Tom, I'd also add that. I don't think that it's a problem if people copy what we're doing. Like if one of the number one things that we do is innovate to the point that everybody's copying it, like one, they're playing catch up when we've done this from the beginning. And like, we're still putting this power into the people's hands via that DAO. And like, let's say someone beats us, right? We still like engineered a better world than what we started with. So it's very much like, the original like DeFi groups that like, like it, it so long, it's like all the boats will rise with it. We'll still be in the NFT industry. Like we'll still be working with everyone. So like, let's say that like the original people that really pushed to have like decentralized aspects of DeFi, like went out and like DAOs went out. Right. Well, they, they've already won at the point that everybody's like copying them. So like the, then you're talking about like, a 10 year business plan versus a one year business plan. And if we hit a point that the major players and NFTs are copying us by like the end of a year from starting. So let's say like February or March, I'm then I'm not even worried about who's going to win. Cause I think that at, we're so early in this industry that we're all going to win. I just don't want centralized bullshit that like 
got us to where we are in media now in the old media world to win. So like, no, no, I'm, I'm totally with you, Tyler. I, I yeah. totally agree. Um, just moving on. I want to hit on the other core aspects of the universe. So we, we just talked a lot about minting. Let's go on to the auction house. Uh, Tim, maybe we'll start with you here. What's unique about the auction house on? Universe? Yeah. So um, our auction house is going to be formatted similar to what we've seen actually, um, where there's a leaderboard and kind of these slots with multiple NFTs in them. Um, for example, Justin Blau uh, kind of innovated this and um, Nifty Gateway also adopted it on their platform. And what we noticed was, um, I mean, these are on centralized services currently. And um, there, were a lot, there were some mishaps that had happened and it's really due to centralization and something that's not unstoppable. And so I, I had the, the idea, like we should definitely just decentralize this kind of feature, um, create a reserve auction where you can put in multiple NFTs and, and auction them off as a group. What is pretty powerful about this is that it will allow a collector like myself, someone who, who's, you know, who's brought it, who, who's collected a ton of NFTs to be able to kind of auction off a whole lot um, all at once instead of individually. And yeah, just providing this kind of decentralized service for, for switching hands will, will, will be healthy for the market, will allow people to start trading. And yeah, so that, that's on the front of the auction. And Tim, are there any other, are there any existing sites where you can do an NFT auction today? So there was Bounce Finance, um, but it just wasn't working for me. I think it stole my NFT that I deposited. I, I don't know what happened. Um, it, it just wasn't also like intuitive and, and easy to use. How do the fees work on? Say, Chandler's our friend and he did like invest in the project. So I don't want to this like. Oh, yeah, yeah. He's a supporter. But Bounce just, I think it works now. Bounce is, okay, the difference between us and Bounce just is like a big asterisk because I don't want to make anybody mad especially like bag holders of bounce bounce is like a financial protocol and they're really focused on nfts for finance at this point i don't think that they're playing in the art game like quite as much other than some of the work they're doing with like bsc and binance so there isn't a decentralized dow driven auction marketplace that is focused on nfts as art bounce is the closest thing to it it's focusing on them from a financial perspective. And I mean, if Bounce Innovates will work with them like in parallel, right? They're kind of off doing their own thing. We're off doing our own thing. But there's not, I don't think there's anything close to a DAO driven NFT auction house, marketplace, minting component. None of it is DAO driven. And I think a big component of that is even when we came out, I don't, I don't want to get too deep into what like DAO first is. I think people can just Google that term DAO first and understand that like we never had a legal entity. We never had a foundation. There was never a company involved in the universe. We started as a DAO and immediately started distributing the tokens to the people, like thousands of people that were involved in this project. And those are the people that are going to run the protocol long-term, not us. And one of the biggest like disconnects that we had with polymorphs when we launched is I don't even think the NFT community understood what that meant or like how powerful it was, which makes me even like further know that nobody is. I mean, I think people like I was talking about doubts to people really high up in NFTs and they thought like I had like made this shit up. Like they thought like I made up what a DAO was and they were like, Oh, how are you going to manage all of this? I was like, it's not just me. Like, there's a whole ecosystem and industry working on like innovating on DAOs. So like, we're not doing this ourselves. So there, I, the, the short answer is I don't even think people completely have grasped how, how powerful that is, which, and that makes me know that like, there's nothing mainstream that's doing it like that. Tyler, just to dig in there. I mean, what I'm getting from you with all of your answers is that you're with universe. You guys are putting together all the components to allow somebody to basically create their own media empire within a specific segment through minting, marketplace, social media, et cetera, et cetera. But the core component of your thesis is that all of these different pieces are decentralized, whereas they all kind of exist today, but they're all centralized and they're all scattered. So you're bringing it all together and it's all decentralized at the same time. 
just to hit on this, and I know you spoke to Kevin Rose about it, but I the aggregation of all these components is important, but the decentralization of it is the one that I'm not totally clear on. Like, what is the goal or what is the reason for having all these pieces decentralized? Like, who are you protecting? What's the long-term vision there? I think the people that utilize like the platform, like I think that people self-regulate online communities better than centralized entities do. And by people, I mean like people in mass, like Reddit did a very good job of self-policing itself before the, the thought police got involved in it. Like, like one of the best things to do on Reddit was to like shit on the CCP and like their treatment of Hong Kong and post like Tiananmen Square stuff. And then there's this like Chinese company called Tenzing that like bought into Reddit. And then all of a sudden all that stuff disappeared. Like the people of Reddit that were users that like the users are the ones that drive all the value, which these people sitting in cubicles in Silicon Valley, like don't understand that like Reddit is like, a little bit their effort, but it's more the community's effort. And I think the community should own that platform, at least from a governance perspective on how, how things are essentially managed, how they're curated, how they're uh, like, how the rules on the platform are made. And so the biggest, like when I say decentralization, I'm like, we, I want to decentralize everything as much as like technologically possible but that includes even at like the governance layer, like the, these, like all these online platforms, anything you know about NFTs, like from literally every single one of them is a centralized entity, like a CEO, their companies, they're making the decisions. Like what the only reason that like, they're the little guy now and we're all cheering for them is they just haven't gotten to the Google level yet. But as soon as one of those NFT platforms is bigger than Twitter, Who's to say that they're not going to start ripping off like Tiananmen Square off of OpenSea, right? Like the people who built all of these platforms are the people that are utilizing them. And I think from the very get-go, we should be giving that power to the people before we get too greedy. Because I can't tell you who the hell I'm going to be in 15 years, but I can tell you right now, I don't want me in 15 years making that decision when I can just make it right now to give that power to the people. Tyler, that's an awesome answer. So just to... Just to close the loop on, on what Universe is, we talked about a lot of the components that you guys are bringing together, marketplaces, social media, minting, auctions, et cetera, to allow somebody to have like an end-to-end service with their NFT and their media. But the other thing you brought up is that the reason it's decentralized is because the community can innovate on every single one of these core components and fasten the centralized company. And I think that's kind of already clear because you guys have already innovated on the contracts and minting themselves because the ERC 721s that you guys have are just custom and you're already iterating on that from what you've learned from the community. So I think that aggregation and community iteration is pretty powerful for you guys. Well, even with like Polymorphs, for instance, like I think that the NFT community didn't understand that when we dropped that, the the biggest question was like, okay, well, Polymorphs are kind of controlled by the XYZ community. And I, and I just think they hadn't done enough like research when those dropped to know what that meant. But like every like aspect, like even Larva Labs, right. They're sending like, what is it? DM, DCMA uh, to people right now. Like they're uh, it, like, I know like G money went out and tried to talk to them about like doing like work with like the ape that he owns and I'm not trying to trash on Larva Labs in any capacity because like, I think they probably are like the OGs and most innovative people in the like NFT space uh, up to, you know, I mean, even now, like, look, they, they innovated a lot of things, like even the concept of what like a collection is in NFTs. So I don't want someone to listen to this and think I'm, I'm like shitting on Larva Labs or shitting on punks. But at the end of the day, those people make all the decisions on that. Like even down to our first NFT drop, like the the amount to like scramble a polymorph, the way the bonding curve functions, whether or not we add additional traits, like all of even like the actual polymorph themselves is in the hand of the owner on like what they want it to look like. Like it's a hundred percent about putting putting the power back into the the people that are using this as opposed to, you know 
me and Tim or Troy or anybody else just particularly getting rich off of, you know, other people like memeing polymorphs or other people doing stuff with it. Like we've very much taken every effort to not put ourselves in a position to be able to make power plays with those as soon as that DAO gets activated. And like, if that's what we're doing on our first like NFT drop to put that much time and energy into making sure it functions that way, like imagine what the platform, like, like the platform is going to function in that capacity too. Cause that's the biggest area where you're, I mean, you need that type of stuff. Yeah. And like to sum up the key difference is like Larva Labs and Bored Apes, like they, there are these DAOs that kind of like, formed around it but it wasn't dow first all of the all of the revenue and profits went directly to larva labs went directly to the board apes team and i mean the board apes team they're they're dope and the larva labs team they're dope but if 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 you really want it to be community driven the, the community should be able to have some control over the funds that were were, were that were profited you know but it's their the, the actual dow is a, is a separate entity so it's not really the same. So one, the way one we, question yeah. for you there, Tim, just not to cut you off, but like you bring up a good point and I'm not a massive punk like advocate or holder or anything like that. But it seems to me like there's a dichotomy between what Larva Labs does to promote punks and what the community does to promote punks. And it seems like the community is way more aggressive in, in obviously building out their funk, their reach and exposure. What you're saying is that through universe, the owners and the creators are kind of one and the same. Kind of. Well, punks didn't ever sell punks, so it's a little bit different, right? Like, they're a little more clean. And, like, I think it's appropriate that the punks owners left the project because you get into all sorts of regulatory conversations. And, like, that, if anyone's looking at it at, like, a regulatory body, like, truly is a decentralized project that, like, the community made it what it was, essentially. And, like, yeah, there's centralized aspects where like i guess larva labs owns like certain aspects of punks and can sue people over it but like the way it got to where it was wasn't like a hundred percent by their efforts but like the biggest thing is is like when they dropped me bits there was like real money that was generated somewhere it's not like it went back to punks holders like punks owners got a free me bit right but like they didn't control the treasury like we raised two on uh two million dollars with uh with um polymorphs and like that didn't go to tyler tim troy or anybody else on the team it went to a dow that we can't even access that money to do anything with it without the vote of the community that we set forth and like that's probably the big difference that nobody's i don't nobody's done that even at a collection level of nfts but definitely nobody's done that on the auction and minting level so it's like decentralize the whole tech stack as much as technologically possible, but put the power in the hands of the community as fast as possible because human greed's a real thing. And you get, I mean, I wish I owned more Barnbridge than I had asked for in the very beginning. I'm probably going to wish I owned more universe. So like be altruistic when, when you're building as opposed to when you've built, because it's very hard to look back and, do it later once you've created something. That's a really good point, Tyler. And I mean, I already hit on my thought, which earlier was like that the community, community-driven components could iterate faster than centralized companies. That's that's like very obvious. But do you think there might be an edge case where someone like an OpenSea or Nifty or whatever, um, or maybe they have, I'm not sure, decentralizes to the community and kind of goes throughout your talking? I feel like it's impossible, but would love your take. I hope they do. I think there's components of the fact that they're front end, front end interfaces, we're going to run into this problem too, that it's kind of like Zapper and DeFi. Like it's, it's a front end interface. So it, it makes it harder to decentralize where we're looking into some of the tech stack to fix that. Let me put it this way. We could do an entire podcast on that question. And I don't think we can get through it. So it's not an easy answer. The short answer is that I hope that they do. I hope that they do give that power to the people through a DAO. And I like that. Guys, just to just to make sure we, I, I want to get to a couple other things while we have time, but polymorphs are truly innovative. What are the differences between polymorphs and other NFTs from a high level? And 
you know, why are people kind of going crazy for them right now? I kind of almost want Tim to answer that. Cause I've, I wrote like a whole blog post about it. <laughs> I'll make sure I link to it. It's a killer post. Everybody's well, heard my take, right? Or you can go Google it, but Tim, I feel like may have a unique, fresh look at it. I think the, I think I did mention like the main innovation there, like the one, the, all the pr- proceeds went to a DAO Two, the, the, the URL to the assets are controlled by the DAO as well. And so, you know, it is, currently pointing to an API on, you know, a centralized front end, but when, once we do migrate over to um, decentralized services, the DAO can vote to, to maintain the project, to keep it running. Who, who controls that for punks? It's Larva Labs? Yeah. Got mm-hmm. it. Okay. Well, wait a second. I, I don't I believe like so. because punks might have been minted on Ethereum mainnet. So I yeah, don't I'm not know. sure. Yeah, no, I'll check after the episode. Let's not sure. do punks because they were so early on. They're yeah. not even ERC 721s. There's a very high likelihood that those punks are minted on Ethereum mainnet, but it's not it's not financially viable to do that anymore. So let's say every project after Avastars, that's that's controlled by the project. Got it. Cool, cool. Sorry to cut you off. Oh, no, all good. And then, yeah, the rarities, like the rarities are like what everyone thinks of these NFT NFT collectibles are these predetermined rarities and traits that are kind of depicted in, as properties and, and visually. And so the innovation that George of LimeChain um, you know, came up with is that the, the people decide the, the rarity. They can shuffle, they can shuffle the traits and determine like what is aesthetic what what is like a full set of traits and um there there was no predetermined rarity everything was has the same chance to to be rolled um to get a specific trait and so um for for people to come from this this notion of oh rarity is predefined to a completely different project that turns that on its head i think was was a good thing for the space we're working with the community on like an Excel spreadsheet on how we even determine. Cause I do actually want to say that punks, like I feel like I was really involved in punks before people knew what punks were. And I sold a lot of my punks cause, cause I started Barnbridge, but like the, I watched like even some of the concepts of like five, six attribute punks, like, that a lot of that stuff ended up being community driven and like Larva Labs even dropped it in later. So I don't want to say that like none of this stuff's been community driven up to this point, but like the, if you really look into polymorphs, it takes it a step further and we are going to release like rarity components, but they're not going to be based off like individual features. It's going to be like feature pairing. Um, So like there is rarity with polymorphs, it's just a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot different than what the industry is releasing right now. And I don't think people were ready for it. But, and it's our job now to educate everybody going forward on like what, what they actually are. So like, how do you describe to somebody though that really understands punks well? Like people that understand punks well know that there's floor punks, they know that there's punks worth millions of dollars. Like how do you describe rarity to them when you know, if I go buy a polymorph on OpenSea and let's say I go on the universe site and I re-roll it, like how exactly do I get a rare one? Like how does the whole rarity value dynamic work here? I think that part, one thing that I do want is I want like Tim to talk about some of like the, even like music components and stuff that, that he just worked on. Cause I feel like he deserves recognition, but I can just sum that up real quick to say, if you go read that article that I wrote about, like how polymorph rarity works it's it's community driven in and of itself where we map the entire thing on a genome and like we will we're actually able to introduce new traits into the genome so like we can add like a tail on them we could add like a pet we could add like earrings you could add belt like a basically like improve uh, once they're already there. So like the way that it will essentially work is like, if you go look at like my profile picture right now, I have like an iguana with like a soccer Jersey with two like double lightsabers that are both yellow. Like that's probably the only, like what you would call like virgin iguana with two double like lightsabers. So like, but we've essentially mapped out with the community, 
all of the things that would be called like full sets. So like someone who understands punks would be like, okay, there's six, there's six, uh, 11, six attribute punks, right? Well, like those um, essentially are these 11. And so they're rare because of like this. There's also like 24 apes. I think there's nine aliens. Well, like on ours, it's going to be like, well, there's actually only like one full astronaut alien with like two double corn uh, like shooters with it, essentially. And so we'll basically like as a community build out a rarible, like a rarity scale that you'll actually know, like down to a T, like how rare is your actual polymorph? The difference between that is like as punks get like more and more and more popular, there's this concept of floor punks and all of the current platforms operate off of like floor. What is floor worth? What is floor worth? Well, polymorphs, I don't think it'll ever matter what floor is because there's this concept of like proof of work that has to do with like minting like Bitcoin that like your effort and work is part of what like creates value in the Bitcoin itself. Well, like part of what is going to um, make people like think something is more rare is like the effort that people are willing to put into it. And then like social consensus around like aesthetics. So like, I don't think that it's, a, it's not one-to-one -one with, uh, with punks, but the number one thing that I like about polymorphs the most is like, there's not really going to be so such thing as a floor punk because one, like if you put these things five, 10 years out and people have played around with them enough, then the floor one's just one that you can get and scramble and make look cooler. Right. Like it, it doesn't have to be a floor. Like it can, they can just all end up being dope. And if they, if there ends up being like a monopoly on a certain trait, then we'll add new traits in so that it'll add new rarities and, and factors into it. And the Tyler, quick, quick question there, just to not to cut you off, but you mentioned like the idea of a full set or, or let's say a polymorph that has specific attributes, like, you know, specific pants and shoes and left hand, right hand, et cetera. Can't I buy a polymorph and just keep re-rolling the single traits until I get that? Or is there only one of this full set in existence? No. So you can, um, the problem is but you need a it's on a bonding curve though. If you want to do yeah. that, nobody's rolled a full set yet. Like even to this point, right? Like there's been, I think 40 ETH spent on scrambling and rolling and nobody has a, they have close to it. There's like some people that definitely have close to them. But if you extrapolate that over five years, like, yes, there's going to be full sets, but then we can, we can also the Dow we've, we've, that's what I'm saying. We mapped a full genome and I think it's like 93 like traits and characteristics. We've only mapped 17. So like there's incentive right now to go and try to roll like a full alien astronaut costume with two corn shooters. Like I will buy that if someone rolls that. And basically uh, as soon as that get, gets like rolled and a lot of people have those, then we'll introduce new traits into the polymorphs. And then you'll never want to roll that old one again. So that will just be like set, right? And then it will be harder to roll that in the future. So like that's, I don't know. I, the game theory is music. Like it's, and it's awesome. Tyler, how expensive, Tim, to your point, like how expensive would it be for me to buy a polymorph and either continue to scramble all or scramble specific features until I got that full set? Is it just an astronomical amount of money or how does the bonding curve work? It's partially built on luck, but the bonding curves on single traits. And so it starts at 0.02 ETH and it basically exponentially goes up every time you roll. The scrambling resets the bonding curve. So it's 0.01. So your best bet Part of the reason that I think we haven't seen more people morphing is because we haven't released some type of rarity thing. I think when we do, they'll they'll start morphing and they'll start playing around more because you you almost want to scramble, 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 scramble until you get like three similar traits, right? But it's not cheap. I mean, nobody's done it yet. Like I don't I think that it's there's not a set price. You could get really lucky and do it for less than an ETH, you could get really unlucky and spend 50 ETH doing it. Like, but the other, the other thing to keep in mind, I guess, is like, there's not an unlimited amount of polymorphs to even try to scramble, right? There's only 10,000. 
So, I mean, you have to not only get one, but I mean, granted they're cheap now, but like you not only have to get one, but there's like the supply aspect there. And then the obvious scramble aspect with the bonding curve, like it's pretty like the game theory between buying a full set and trying to scramble for one is definitely kind of interesting. Yeah. Cause I think, um, I mean, it's kind of, it's like proof of work. I mean, it's very similar to Bitcoin's algorithm for rarity and, and scarcity versus like, I don't even know what you'd call, what you'd call crypto punks, but I'm sure they'll, you know, write stories in a couple of years about it and they'll have names for all, all this shit. We just kind of launched it with different, they're definitely innovative. They're a lot more innovative than just like copy paste, like avatar projects. You, people can say what they want about the art, but the the game theory and the technology is is a lot different than anything anyone's seen. And it's, I you know, I think it took people five years to figure out what punks were. Even even a year ago, I heard people talking shit about punks, saying that that pixel art wasn't cool and these things were never going to take off because the art was ugly. And you know, last week Jay Z made his one right, like. So people can say what they want about the art being ugly. It doesn't even offend me. I didn't make the art. I think they're fucking dope. I think they're awesome. And I think they'll stand the test of time. And I think we'll be talking about them for a long time. It may be three years before people realize the beauty of what they are. And then they take off. Maybe they never take off. I don't really care. All I know is we made something cool. It's a mixture between art and technology. I think it's worth talking about. And I'm here for it. That's I, I think the bonding curve aspect the re-rolling and rolling for specific traits is, is super interesting. I mean, one of my last questions on polymorphs is just like, what are the edge factors in your opinion? Like you have the ability to add attributes through the doubt of these, which could impact the value of those that are existing, but you also, I guess, have the ability to take away aspects, right? No, we can't. Okay. So there was some miscommunication even when we started it, we can't take anything away and we can't, like add new attributes into the ones that exist. So like we can't we can't like make new like helmets, right? They're the helmets are set. We can't make new characters, the characters are set. We can add in new traits. Like we can add in like a tail or the polymorph having a pet or like something in the background or like uh eyebrow piercing, right? But we we cannot you can't subtract and the, that's really important because they are immutable, right? It, like we can't, we can't like make your polymorph more shitty. If you've, if you've done the work to make it cool, we can't, we cannot subtract or even add to it unless you do something as the owner to call the contract. Got it. No, polymorphs are super cool. And I mean, it's cool because you're basically bootstrapping universe, right? Like you're showing people what you can do with the tech, which is, which is really cool. But guys, I'd love to kind of close out by talking about your foundation, Tim. Let's dive into it. I'll let you kind of take the reins here. It's super interesting. You're doing incredible work. You, you kind of pitched me before we got started. So please go off yeah, on it. We'd love to talk about it. Um, so it's, it's been something that I've been building um, on my own with the help of um, support from uh, kind of leading artists in, in the space. And uh, it's it's charity to help elevate and, and put up... Um, Oh yeah, I mentioned this like art, artists that are disadvantaged and, and and around the world to take over take hold of this opportunity. But um, kind of what it evolved into was something um, I believe is quite innovative, and it, it, it's a platform that allows people to curate together. And it was kind of like a, a proof of concept to see if curation as a community really works. And we've launched two exhibitions, one being the Genesis grant, which was for, for, to inv for inviting new artists uh, to mint their first NFT. And then we had David Aryu who um, had his community get NFT, create um, works that res that represented what distorted reality meant to them. And um, it was curated by um, some amazing, amazing artists, including people. Like Catherine, um, David Aryu, um, Chelsea, Evan Starr, like these these people, um, they all voted together on like what they thought was 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 really meeting the vision of the exhibition. And yeah, it's really putting putting artists up kind of in a spotlight in a curated exhibition. And and it's coming soon. We have Paris Hilton um, doing one for um, 
for the female perspective and women's empowerment. And so this, this kind of uh, platform that I built, uh, I really hope stands the test of time because I, I think arts and galleries and exhibitions should be themed, should be curated, should be making, you know, cultural relevance and statements about what's happening right now. Like for example, this, this space is very pre predominantly like male, white male heavy. Um, and to really uplift artists and, and, you know, we, we would love to work with, um, black NFT art, um, the group and, and hopefully her, st her story Dow. Um, but you know, these groups that are really trying voicing, voicing their, their, their themselves and should very much deserve, uh, the recognition that others are getting. So I, I really hope, you know, this kind of foundation really stands the test of time when people look back and see like what during this kind of start to NFTs, what was culture, what was really making an impact and, 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 and helping people in, 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 a, in an honest and genuine way. Uh, Tim, I think it's incredible and it's admirable. I guess my one critical question for you would be, how do you incentivize people to curate and get involved? Because as we know, everybody's just looking for a paycheck somewhere. Yeah, it's, it's tough. Like there is no, there is no financial incentive. It's just like, um, I just hope that there are people that are, that see the vision and, and would, would like to contribute, uh, through their kind of, um, their own will and, uh, and participate. And so we actually just announced that we're having, um, a new, ex a new exhibition called Decentralize, um, where the artworks need to represent what decentralization means and, and, we, we hope that this kind of like challenges artists to think, think about like how, how that's represented and, and how, um, and, and what like, you know, this technology is actually doing and so hope, yeah, can, we hope to like submit to that exhibition. Like if I, let's say I go create a piece, can I submit it? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, it's open submission. And then, um, the curation is the, for this particular exhibition, we want the entire community to, to come in and curate. And so we hope we hope that it's like the the largest community curated art show in for NFCs in history. Now this is and, sick. And Tim, sorry, one other question for you because I'm just now I'm just super interested. The like, how are you sure though that the people submitting the artwork are from like underprivileged areas or, or emerging artists? Like, how do you know they're not super well known? Like, yeah, like all people? I mean, all we have like what's required is like submitting. Like, uh, you need to link your Twitter, your Instagram. A website and so like that's really all we have to go off of and uh, hopefully like the the curation teams like vet that after they select the artworks that they like and so that's i think that as much as we can do but yeah that's 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 kind of a ongoing ongoing thing especially i mean it is different because it's not very like anonymous but but some people do choose to be anonymous but uh i i think that's what that's what we can do if you know it becomes problematic, we'd have to do some further kind of vetting. But for now, that's that's what we're doing. And now you're solving a an awesome avenue here. This is this incredible work, and I love the URL. Grants.art is just so memorable. Yeah, I don't. I I was so happy when I saw that that was available. I was like, yes, let's do it. <laughs> yeah, no, I definitely want to point everyone to check out. Is it available? Or you had to like buy it. Like it was available. Like. You pay off the primary godaddy.com domain search. I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, like $10 baby. available. Nice. <laughs> Make sure you throw auto renew on, man. It's important. For <laughs> exactly. <laughs> well, it's on. That's for sure. Jeez. Well, guys, this has been incredible. Um, really appreciate you guys carving out time for this. I I'm super excited for university part of it. Um, love the vision and, and shout out Tim for grants.art. It's, it's incredible. Definitely want everyone to check it out, but, but thanks so much for coming on guys. Thanks for having me and uh, thanks for having us. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Before we go, we want to again thank our sponsor for this episode, Kava. With a proven track record of delivering products safely, the Kava platform is DeFi's most trusted, scalable, and secure institutional-grade cross-chain engine. In addition to the protocols Kava and Hard, Kava Labs will soon be launching a swap protocol, a cross-chain AMM liquidity hub bridging DeFi, blockchains, and financial services to swap the world's largest assets and maximize yields across your entire portfolio. Try for yourself or learn more by visiting kava.io today. Hey everyone, thanks for listening to the podcast. If you enjoyed it, please support the show by hitting subscribe on iTunes, writing a review, 
for sharing this episode on Twitter and LinkedIn. And stay tuned for our next episode out soon.